Lord comes, don't you? So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, and uh, let's believe the Lord to speak to us today. Hebrews 6, verse 13. For when God made promise, for when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so After he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater. And an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation. That's what we need today is a strong consolation. I think sometimes our praise is half-hearted because we're not sure we're saved. You say, well, pastor, I'm not sure about all that. I I would rejoice if I had a reason to. Well, that's exactly what the Lord dealt with when the disciples were rejoicing over the wrong thing. And they said, we rejoice because blind eyes were open and devils, we cast out devils and we saw miracles. And the Lord said, you're rejoicing for the wrong thing. This is not the balance or the foundation of your rejoicing. Rejoice not in this, but rejoice that your names have been written in the Lamb's book of life. I've got a reason to worship the Lord today. Because I'm saved. I'm thankful I'm saved. I'm happy I'm saved. I didn't deserve it, yet here I am. I'm glad to be saved. Somebody clap your hands unto the Lord. I need that strong consolation. That we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Which hope we have as an anchor. Everybody say an anchor. An anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. And which entereth into that within the veil. That's where I want to go today. In behind that veil. Whither the, for, uh, the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest, even after the order of Melchizedek. In other words, Jesus went in there first, and now he's invited us all to come on in. I want to talk today about the assurance. Everybody say the assurance. Everybody say, I need assurance. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your blessings. Lord, in the Spirit of God that we feel here today. Lord, I thank you for what you want to do in the next few moments in this service. Do it now, Lord, in each one of us. We're believing you for a miracle in every heart. We're believing you for a revival in every heart today, God. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. Everybody said, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated in the name of the Lord. Amen. The writer of Hebrews says that we have an anchor, sure and steadfast. It's called hope. Everybody say hope. And the writer says we have this sure and steadfast anchor 
of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. I want to go there when it's time to worship God. I want to enter into that holy place. I want to get into a place where everything else is shut out. That place behind the curtain where God's spirit and mercy and power moves. I want that. We need it in every service. Somebody say amen. There's an nautical term used in sailing, uh, in the sailing world that today uh, is less talked about. It's not used as much anymore, but uh, when vessels were driven by the wind, it was much more prevalent than it is now with powered uh, vessels. The term is called kedging. Kedging. And there's one thing to have an anchor on board, but there is something a few years ago they called a kedge anchor. It was shaped differently. It was for a different purpose. And a kedge anchor was used when a ship was grounded. It was run aground by turbulent wind or turbulent seas, and because of a storm, uh, because of the vulnerability of the sails, the sails would be taken down and and the wind would begin to direct that boat, and those were very dangerous times. So many times there would be an anchor thrown out, and uh, the, the boat would be secured, but a kedging anchor or a kedge anchor would be used when a storm had blown a ship aground, so to speak, and it was wedged for one reason or another. And what would happen would be a sailor, a number of sailors would get in a long boat or a lifeboat and, and go out into the ocean away from the ship. They would take a kedge anchor with them that had a long line. In fact, the longer the line, the better. And they would take that kedge anchor out the direction that the boat needed to go. And when they got in that direction and a far piece from the boat, they would drop that anchor. And once that anchor would find the bottom and that kedge was secured, the sailors would go back to the vessel and then they would begin to operate a winch of some type and pull toward that anchor. That is known as kedging. It's not just about anchoring to hold on to a particular spot. We normally think about an anchor holding us sure and steadfast. And the anchor does represent something that God has done for us in the past. We are anchored to a doctrine. We are anchored to truth. We are anchored to experiences that brought us through tough times. Can I get an amen? There's a hope, an anchor of the soul. Because God has shown up powerfully in our lives and we hope that He is going to continue to be an ever-present help in the time of trouble. I thank God for the anchor of hope. But every once in a while, uh, sometimes we need an anchor 
for our future. We need some movement. We run aground. We uh, get stuck. And sometimes, yes, we're anchored to the right things. But in turbulent times, sometimes we need something that has the power to pull us away from the turbulence and, uh, and, and being run aground or being stuck. And I need an anchor that's not only about past victories and past promises, but I need to set out a course of action that says I'm going to pull myself out of this status quo I'm going to pull myself out of this drudgery I'm going to pull myself out of this discouragement not only is an anchor the anchor of hope but I believe God has movement for the church I believe God wants us to not get stuck I believe God doesn't want us just to go through the motions of coming to church and going home. Oh Lord, move us to our future in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody clap your hands unto the Lord. Come on, I I believe sometimes we need God to pull us off a sandbar, so to speak. And I'm preaching to every saint of God that's experienced salvation. I don't want to get stuck. I don't want to be held by anything of this world. Somebody say amen. What's amazing to me is God's amazing partnership with us, His creation. In John 3.16, here's the entire theme of the entire Bible. For God so loved the world, you can probably all quote it, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the entire uh, center and circumference of the Word of God. That's the meaning for all of it, us being here. And all the creation that we enjoy, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. I'm thankful for that. That ought to do something for you today. In Genesis chapter 17, in fact, many times, but I'm going to take my focus in Genesis 17, God told Abraham, In thee shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Everybody say all. What's important about that is we think that's an Old Testament covenant. We think that's an Old Testament a promise or testament. That that is an old covenant and it has nothing to do with us today. But in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 8, Paul says some very important things. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all be blessed. Did you get that? Paul says to the church at Galatia, Don't fool yourself. The gospel of faith was preached to Abraham, and that gospel is still in covenant today. In Abraham shall all the nations. Notice it didn't say Israel. It didn't say the Philistines. It didn't say the Amorites. It didn't just mean those nations that existed in the Old Testament. It means you and I right here in the United States of America right here in 2018. The gospel of faith that was preached to Abraham is the same gospel that's being preached right now. And through Abraham, all the nations shall be blessed. Everybody say all. 
that means nobody's excluded. <laughs> that means Calvary's reach is complete. It reaches everybody. Whosoever will, let him come. I've got good news for you today. Calvary was for you and for me. Anybody thankful for the blood today? Anybody feel blessed because you're saved? No, I'm not asking you if God healed you. I'm not asking you if God gave you money. I'm not asking you if you won the lottery. I'm asking you if you're glad you're saved today. You're privileged. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord this morning. I hurry. My, uh, my wife's granddad, brother James Moulter, uh, was not raised in the apostolic way. Uh, and uh, I, I won't take a lot of time with all of that, but a businessman, he was a Navy man. And, uh, and, but God got a hold of him, called him to the ministry. And uh, there are churches that are in existence today because uh, of his, uh, he, he was a church planner. And uh, we thank God for his memory uh, but uh, Brother Moulter had a, a famous saying when it was time to take the pulpit or testify. He'd always say the same thing. The family knows it. And uh, we say it to one another and smile and remember Papa Moulter. And uh, he began to uh, experience signs of dementia and then full-blown Alzheimer's. And his wife was taking care of him. And he, he was just the shell of a man. And, and the disease was advancing. And, and uh, he, he was exhibiting some, some signs, uh, bad signs of memory loss. And, but yet he continued to go to church. They continued to make sure he was dressed right. And, and even though he, he was not capable of doing some of those things, his wife was taking care of him. She'd bring him to church and sit right by him and make sure, you know, if somebody came up, she could explain something. You know how that works. And uh, so it was in one of these services that, that he was sitting and, and some of the saints didn't know that he was beginning to uh, lose his memory. And, and uh, uh, or maybe they did. But for some reason, the service leader all of a sudden decided it was time for somebody to testify. And he looked around the crowd and he just looked back and saw old Brother Moulter sitting back there and said, Brother Moulter, why don't you stand and give the Lord praise? And Brother Moulter got frantic and he kind of got agitated and he looked at his wife and he said, what, what am I going to say? And she said, just say what you always say. <laughs> All of a sudden he jumped to his feet battling Alzheimer's, uh, didn't know things that he used to know, was exhibiting childlike behavior, but all of a sudden he stood to his feet and with a loud voice he would yell, Praise the Lord, all you fortunate people! Well, that wasn't enough. Once he got that out of his mouth, he decided it was time to praise the Lord and he took out, out of the pew and started running around the church. And the church blew up. I don't know about all of you, but I don't know if you realize how fortunate you are. I don't know if you really understand how blessed you are. Come on, we don't have all the money we need, but we're saved. We don't have all the health we need, but we're saved. We don't know all the answers. Oh, but praise God, I've been redeemed. Come on, take a minute and praise the Lord. Come on, the Lord wants to assure us today. And, oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. 
And it's not just about forgiveness. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's not just about forgiveness. I thank God that I'm forgiven. But if sin were only about us violating God's law, listen, God can pardon that. If all salvation is is about forgiveness, God can pardon sin. He did that before the cross, didn't He? In fact, he did it in Jonah's day when he sent Jonah to preach to Nineveh and Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He had designs on going to Tarsus. That was a much nicer place. And Jonah tells us why he went to Tarsus. is because he knew that if he preached the truth and they believed it, that God would forgive them. That's long before the blood was spilled. This is not just about you getting forgiveness. This is not just about your sins being washed away. He looked at a little woman, that, a woman of Samaria, a woman caught in adultery. And what did he say? He told those Pharisees ready to throw those stones. He said, if you're without sin, you go ahead and throw the first stone. We know that had a way of emptying their pockets. And then when they were all gone, he said, where are your accusers? She said, I, know, I see no man. And he said, neither do I condemn thee. And some people think that's where it ends, but that's not where it ends. He said, go and sin no more. She had been made clean long before the blood was ever spilled. Oh, I know I'm messing with your head, but I want to tell you it's not just about forgiveness. See, I was made in the image of God. I was a created being of the highest order. I was made just a little lower than the angels. Me in my original state doesn't look like I look right now. Come on, you're not hearing me. Me in my original condition is not nearly the fella standing before you right now. The fella before you right now was defeated by the devil. I've been crushed by the enemy. God didn't make me this way. Come on, God didn't cause you to be be, uh, battling sickness. God didn't cause your eyes to need glasses. You weren't made that way. The devil crushed man, drove him out of the presence of God, and a mediator was needed, somebody to stand between two parties that were separated. I needed more than just washing. I needed regeneration. I needed to be a new... I needed to be a new creature in Christ. I needed access. I need to hear him say, you're welcome. Forgiveness is one thing. In fact, the Pharisees said, only God can forgive sin. Who are you to be walking around forgiving people? It's not just, I thank God for forgiveness. But it's not just about washing. It's about the Lord being my mediator. It's about Paul saying, hey folks, we have a hope that takes us behind the veil. We have the ability to get into the Shekinah of God, the glory of God. We don't have to live just as washed individuals. We can now have a relationship with the washer. We can now talk to the one who's forgiven us. We can now join hands with the one who formed this world. Oh, praise the Lord. All you fortunate.
covenant people. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord. We have a perfect mediator. Jesus Christ, perfectly God and perfectly man. Man, we could preach all day on that. He paid the full of my contractual responsibilities. My debt that I owed, that perfect man paid it. Only God can forgive sins and only man has dominion in the earth. Man, no better oneness message than that. The only thing that's going to mediate is a God-man. And Jesus was not just the second person of a trinity. Jesus was Almighty God wrapped in a body. Now, the creator of the universe, the one that called Abraham, put himself in a body. See, you can say Jesus is God all day long. Everybody believes that. Come on. I said everybody believes that. That doesn't make you any different than anybody else. Well, it may make you a little different than the Muslim. But in Christianity, in our world, right here, that don't make you any different than anybody else. What sets you apart is who you believe Jesus is. He's God. Yeah, but what God? He is Almighty God. Isaiah said it. They shall call His name Wonderful, Counselor. What's the third one? The Mighty God. There's only one Mighty God. Beside Him there is no other. Almighty God wasn't up there talking to Jesus. What do you think I ought to do? No, Jesus didn't happen until He was born in Bethlehem. He did not pre-exist. He showed up in Bethlehem in a manger. God became a baby. That's why Paul said, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead in his body. He was the perfect Savior. He was the perfect mediator because only God can forgive and only man can do it. Come on, somebody ought to praise him. It takes blood to forgive. Sins are not remitted unless there's blood. God needed a body. And he got one. Wow, you're just all excited about that, aren't you? Praise the Lord, all you fortunate people. God loved you so much. He said, I'm going to strap on a body for you. Uh-oh. Anybody hearing what I'm saying? You ought to thank God for that verse. While Jesus is hanging on that cross, it shouldn't cause you any consternation. It causes people that believe in multiple gods consternation because they can't explain it. How Jesus is hanging on the cross and he can say, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Listen, if, if the Spirit of God hadn't left that body, he would have never died. God's eternal. He told him, you can't take my life. 
Why can you not take Jesus' life? Because the life in him was the source of life. You can't kill that. Oh, you're not hearing me. I said you can't kill God. So on Calvary, that spirit that was in him had to leave his body or he could not die. I'm glad he died. The man, Christ Jesus, died for me. Now he ever lives to intercede. Oh, clap. Oh, my goodness. I don't know why, but I'm going to keep preaching it. Uh, everybody okay? Turn to your neighbor and tell them I'm okay. Hey, in the minute I'm out of the Bible, you stand up and say, that's not right, preacher. All right, I'm going to. Thank you, Brother Homer. I'm going to preach it. Somebody said, well, wait a minute. God is on his throne and Jesus is kind of standing over there on the right hand, on the right side. Well, okay then. Let's go to Revelation chapter 4 and let's see John when he sees the throne room. Now you're saying all that and you haven't even seen it. But John saw it. And if that's the way it was, he would have said, hey, yeah, there's a throne and God, who I can't see, remember. I mean, where is God's right hand? If God's a spirit and he's everywhere, where's his right side? Ever thought of that? John looks into heaven. He says, I see one throne. One. Argue with that. And he says, I see one sitting on the throne. Now the Bible says you can't see. No, John says it. No man has seen God at any time, nor can see him. Did you hear me? Turn to your neighbor and tell him you can't see God. I don't care how many mud makers you meet. You weren't in class today. Didn't get that. You can't see God. God's a spirit. The Bible tells us though the only way we can see Him. He's revealed in a face. And that face is Jesus Christ. And John says, I see one throne and I see one sitting on the throne. Well, that's, I wonder who that is. He tells us it's the throne of God and the Lamb. Now who's the Lamb? That's Jesus. So John sees one throne and one person on it and he says it's the throne of God and I'm going to tell you when I get to heaven I'm going to cast my crown at that throne and I'm going to tell you who's going to be on there. It's Jesus. Because he is the Savior. He is God and he is man. Yes, he is. And God has given him a name that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. I don't know about you, but I know who I'm worshiping today. I'm worshiping Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of my faith. Come on, somebody praise him for a minute. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord. Now, dear Lord, help me. None of that was in my notes, but I trust the Spirit of God. I want to tell you what, friend. I've got a perfect Savior. I'm assured today that He is the mediator. Jesus. Adam sold out to the devil. He came under the devil's mandate. I needed to be free. 
And man to be free needed a kinsman redeemer. Somebody kin to me by the flesh. So God begat a son. Don't get nervous about that. Some people, when they see the word son, they kind of jump around, freak out. When they hear the word father, they're like, we're all of a sudden wandering off into heresy. No, there is a father and there is a son. Anybody hearing what I'm saying? God begat. John said he's the only begotten. Anybody hearing me? Jesus is perfectly God and perfectly man. And that God-man defeated our captor. I thank God for it. But that covenant made with Abraham in Genesis 17 is still in effect. It's not just an Old Testament covenant. In fact, in Acts, I skipped one verse, ladies. In Acts chapter 3, verse 25, take hope, I'm skipping pages. I've now decided to be an odd page preacher. Acts chapter 3, verse 25, ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers. Everybody say the Jews. He's talking to the Jews. This is Peter in Acts chapter 3 explaining some things to the Jews. And he said, we, got a co- we have a covenant that God made to our fathers, saying to our father Abraham, and in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Everybody say, that means me. It wasn't just to Abraham, verse 26, unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Notice Peter makes the connection that to the the promise to Abraham was that in his seed all the kindreds of the earth would be blessed. And then he says it is Jesus that is the fulfillment of that promise. So folks, it didn't end with the book of Malachi. It ended with Jesus coming out of the grave. I am one of those kindreds that through Abraham would be blessed. Now, Abraham heard God say all this, but he wasn't sure. What Abraham needed was assurance. Everybody say assurance. I hasten to the meat of my message. And I'll be done here in just a few minutes. Abraham needed assurance. Everybody say assurance. Abraham wasn't sure, but he needed confidence. Genesis 15 and 8, we find, and he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit? How will I know? Turn to your neighbor and tell him, how will I know? Well, I just feel it. Well, I think we need more than a feeling. There was a song about that written by a gospel writer. So Abraham said, how will I know in Genesis 15? And what follows is a strange, strange commandment. The first thing God says is take a heifer, three years old. 
Turn to your neighbor and tell them, aren't you glad you're not a heifer? Abraham says to God, I need to know that I'm going to get what you're saying. And God immediately says, get you a heifer. A heifer three years old. Why a heifer? What does it symbolize? Well, it speaks to me of burden. A burden too heavy to carry. A burden too heavy to handle. And God is that picture. He is the burden bearer. If Jesus is the fulfillment of that consolation, then that heifer must represent the one who fulfills the promise. He is the great burden bearer. Let me say to somebody today, if you're weary, there's a burden bearer. If you're weak, there's a help in your weakness. Oh, anybody hearing me today? If you're confused, I want to tell you there's a way maker today. Matthew chapter 11 verse 28. Come unto me all that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and you will find rest unto your soul. Abraham, get a burden bearer. Well, that's interesting because God doesn't stop there. He says, get a heifer, three years old, and get a she-goat. A she-goat. I'm not sure why the Bible in the KJV wants to call it she-goat. But evidently, gender distinction was important. A she-goat. I'm not going to work that part of the message. What's the story of this goat? Get a heifer. Abraham, if you need consolation, I'm your burden bearer. And then get a she-goat. Well, what's the story with this goat? It's plainly told in Scripture. The sinner brought this animal to the priest. And the priest would say, you've been a bad boy. You've done some bad things. So I'm going to take all of your... I'm going to put my hands on you. And I'm going to take all that that's in your heart. And I'm going to lay my hands on this little goat. And I'm going to transfer your sin to the head of this goat. And then I'm going to take it outside the camp. And I'm going to let it go into the wilderness. And you're never going to see it again. The picture is that the transfer of sin from the offending party to the innocent party. It means I was a sinner and he put my sin on somebody else. And God said, Abraham, if you want to know that you know, get you a burden bearer and get you a she-goat. You need something that's going to take your sin away. I want to tell you, Jesus is my burden bearer. Oh, he took my sins away. He ran away with all my iniquity. I can't find them anymore. He took them. Oh, somebody clap your hands unto the Lord. Isaiah said, surely he hath carried our burdens, our griefs. Get you a she-goat. A goat takes your sins 
runs out into the wilderness. Uh, Abraham, you want to know? Then get you a burden bearer and get you an animal that can, that's an innocent party that can run off with your sin. And then get you a ram. A ram. This is a picture of maturity. It's not a three-year-old heifer or a three-year-old she-goat. It's a mature sacrifice. It really is what God revealed to Abraham is the principle of Calvary. He shows him the ram caught in the thicket. For for it ever happened, God showed Abraham Calvary. It was a guarantee that the contract God made with him was binding. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18, For as much as we know that we are not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold, from your vain conversations received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. I'm so thankful for Calvary today. Abraham said, I need assurance. And the Lord said, I'll give you a burden bearer. I'll give you something that'll take your sins away. And I'll give you the greatest sacrifice that's ever been made. The blood of bulls and goats cannot take sin away. But there is one lamb. This is all in Genesis 15. Just after Abraham says, I need to know. Get a heifer. Get a sheep goat. Get a ram. And then the fourth thing, the Lord says, Abraham, also to the party, I want you to bring a turtle dove. A dove. A dove. (laughs) A dove in Scripture is always a symbol of the Holy Ghost. And if what Paul said is true to the church at Galatia, that covenant that God made with Abraham would not end with the Old Testament. It's still in effect today. I've got more than a heifer today. Maybe that's what we ought to title this message. More than a heifer. I've got a great burden bearer. More than a she-goat. Somebody took my sins away. He didn't deserve it. And I couldn't pay it. And Calvary was the ultimate sacrifice. But that's not the end, Abraham. I want you to get a dove. So what do we have so far? We got a burden bearer. We got the pure taking the sins of the impure. We've got Calvary. And now, Abraham, I want you to get a dove. That brings me to the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 17, where Peter said, But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass. In the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Oh, somebody ought to praise God for the Holy Ghost. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. I'll 
be your burden bearer. I'll be the one that takes your sins away. I'll take the penalty for your sin. But make no mistake about it, friend. That's not the end of it. I'm going to send you a dove. I'm praying we're walking in the Holy Ghost today. Somebody say praise the Lord. And then last but not least, he said, take a heifer, three years old, a she-goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and last, a young pigeon. Now this is the answer to Abraham saying, I need to know. Now that's odd that the Lord would say, heifer, she-goat, ram, dove, pigeon. That's how you know. Pigeon. The literal rending of this word, young pigeon, is nestling bird. The literal rending actually means a little bird in a nest. (laughs) Hopefully you can interpret that. You know what? When you see a little bird, nestling bird in the nest, you know this. There were eggs there. And then it wasn't too long there were tiny birds without any feathers. But now we've got a nestling, a feathered bird, young, still in the nest. Well, what happens after that? The bird gets a little bigger. It's still nestling And it's got feathers now, but the nest soon begins to show signs of departure. (laughs) It will not be long before the little feathered young departs from the nest. And we are being feathered. We are being strengthened. We are being prepared for a departure. I want to tell you right now, we've got the same assurance that Abraham had. I've got a burden bearer. I've got somebody that took my sins away. He paid the price, sent his spirit. And I'm getting ready to leave here. I'm getting ready to get out of here. One of these days, a sound is going to be heard and we're going to fly from this nest. Oh, anybody thankful for that promise? Come on, somebody clap your hands unto the Lord. Revelation 7, verse 9. After this, I beheld in lo a great multitude, which no man can number, of all nations, kindreds, people, and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, And they sat and meditated for eternity. No? Verse 10. And they cried with a loud voice. (laughs) Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Abraham, you need assurance? I'll be your burden bearer. I'm the one that takes your sins away. I'm going to pay. I'm not even going to take them. I'm going to pay the price for them. And I'm going to send you my spirit. And then Abraham, I want you to go find that little bird that's still in the nest. 
And I want you to know, Abraham, I'm coming to get you. You're going to leave this world. Abraham said, I need assurance. God showed him five animals. Every one of them. Completely an example of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, with Abraham assured, it's interesting that two chapters later, God needed assurance. Abraham said, I want to be assured. I need to know that you're going to do what you told me you'd do. Get a heifer, she goat, ram, turtle dove, and a young nesting bird. There's the sign. It's complete. It's the whole story. But then two chapters later in Genesis 17, God says, I need to know. This is long before chapter 21. That's where Abraham takes his son to the mountain. No, that's not 21. It's 17. And in Genesis 17, verse 10, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Listen, I've given you an example of how you should believe and have hope. Now I want you to show me that you're in on this covenant. Listen, if this covenant didn't end with Malachi and it didn't end at the cross, then all that garbage about you're not saved by works. Well, no, you're not saved by works, but works aren't aren't erased either. God said, I want to know that you're in on this with me. It's not just about you saying, I believe, and now you can go live like you want. God says, I want to know that you're in this, Abraham. I've given you assurance. Now I want you to give me assurance. So what did he do? This will be the covenant, Abraham. This will be between you and me to thy seed after thee. Look at it. Every man, every man child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be a token of the covenant. Look, the Lord said, I need a token. Abraham said, I need a token. And God gave him a heifer, a a she-goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a nesting bird. And then God says, I need a token. You know what my token is? I want you to circumcise every male that's born in your family. Now, without getting graphic about circumcision, let's understand what's going on here. Because Abraham in Genesis 17 is offering a sacrifice. He sacrificed these animals, the first three. He didn't sacrifice the two birds. That's another message. But he sacrificed that ram, that she-goat, and that heifer. And then God says, go circumcise your boys. Listen. The blood of the sacrifice was on his hands. The blood of the God substitute was on his hands. It doesn't take a stretch for you to see Jesus in the red heifer, in the she-goat, and in the ram. That was, that was a sign of the Savior, right? Yeah. So Abraham has the blood of God's substitute on his hands. Now he goes and circumcises his boys. Now on Abraham's hands, Joyce, 
is not only the blood of the substitute, but the blood of his own children. The blood of God and the blood of humanity. Regime, what does that mean to us? Are you telling me that if everybody circumcised that? No, the token is not circumcision of your flesh. The new covenant is the circumcision of your heart. And God says, my covenant to you is, I'm sending you a burden bearer. I'm sending you somebody that will take away your sins. I'm sending you somebody that's a perfect sacrifice. I'm sending you my Holy Spirit. And I'm giving you a promise that I won't leave you in the nest. But I need you to give me a token. And Paul said it best when he said, circumcise your hearts. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy. I want to be what he wants me to be. I want to live for him. I want to go to church when the doors are open. I want to find a place to pray and commune with him every day. I want to come out from the... Oh, the story is not complete until I give God a token. Here's my heart today, Lord. I'm so thankful for what you did for me. You gave your life for me. Now I'm giving mine a living sacrifice back to you. This is the token. So how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Come on, let's lift our hands and love the Lord. I feel the Holy Ghost. Lord, speak to us. Somebody today needs their sins washed away. Somebody today needs to say, Lord, I'm presenting myself a living sacrifice. Holy acceptable unto God cleanse me Lord not a circumcision of the flesh but a circumcision of my heart oh God create in me a clean heart and renew in me the right spirit I wonder if you realize how fortunate you are and God asks of us a token in return faith Faith. Somebody shout faith. Believing that the one he died for is enough to return the token. Lord, I wasn't worthy, but you said I was worthy. So I'm going to come boldly to worship you today. I'm going to come boldly to the altar today. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The blood of humanity is not circumcision, but it's a crucified life. He gave His life for me. My life is given to Him. This is the contract. It's the covenant. God doing what only He does. And me giving my life to Him. It is God. This is why I don't understand when people say, you mean to tell me you can't do this and you can't? No. It has nothing to do with what I can or can't do. It has to do with my view of what He did for me. It's like the centurion that hardened, seasoned soldier standing at the foot of the cross He had seen men die before. His realm was death. He was a Roman centurion. But on this fateful day, 
when he watched Jesus die and when he heard what he said when it was all over that centurion is quoted as saying surely this is the son of God and if an old hardened Roman centurion can have that kind of revelation at Calvary I believe I can have that kind of revelation today he's worthy of my praise he's worthy of my life he's worthy of every sacrifice So now you may understand why I make the statement that if the Lord said to me, I want you to stand on your head and spit out wooden nickels. I'd go to the woods and eat as much oak as I could eat because I'm going to do everything I can to obey the one that called me out of darkness. I'm not going to argue with him if he says this is what I have for your life. I'm going to say Lord I need it. I want it. I'm your servant. I'm your child. Come on right now. Stand all over the room. I want you to reach over and pray for somebody beside you. Jesus we need your washing today. We need your cleansing today. Come on, you don't need a preacher laying hands on you. You're the priest of your home. You've got authority in your hands right now. Men, I want you to pray like you've never prayed before. Come on. Come on, we don't need a prayer line. We need every priest in here that understands I have authority to begin to pray right now for your family and your life and say, Lord, help us to be cleansed before you. We want to live for you, Lord. Come on. The Lord wants to save somebody today. Come on, save you from yourself. Save you from a pathway of sin. Save you from a pathway of doing what you want. Knowing that He died for you. Now you're going to live in sin. Now you're going to say, hey, grace abounds so we can live it up. Oh no! My life is a sacrifice. Yes, I got the blood of the substitute on me. But I want that blood of my sacrifice on it as well. God needs a token. And it's a circumcised heart. I'll tell you, God can bring you out of any situation. In John Bunyan's great allegory, the story, Pilgrim's Progress, many of you have read it. The incident is related how the character Christian decides to leave the main highway and follow another path which seems easier. Hear me now. Christian says the main highway is too hard. There's a path that seems easier. But as he follows that path, he realizes it leads him into the territory of a character called Giant Despair who owns a castle named Doubting Castle. Eventually, Christian is captured by Giant Despair and kept in a dungeon. He is advised repeatedly to kill himself. The giant says there's no use trying to keep up on your journey. 
the journey's over. For the time, it seems as if despair has conquered Christian. But then, hope, Christian's companion, traveling companion, hope, reminds Christian of the previous victories. So it came about that on Saturday about midnight, they began to pray, hope and Christian. And they continued in prayer until almost morning. Now a little before it was day in Pilgrim's Progress, good Christian, as one half amazed, broke out in passionate speech, and I quote, what a fool am I thus to lie in a stinking dungeon when I may as well be at liberty. I have a key in my bosom called promise. I have a key called a promise that will, I am persuaded, open any lock in Doubting Castle. Then said hopeful, that's good news, good brother. Pluck it out of thy bosom and try it. And you know what happened? All the doors opened because of a little key called promise. I've got a promise for you. He is faithful. He is faithful to take away your sin. Come on right now. Come on, the altar's open. And it's all over this building for you to lift up your hands. For you to pray, God, take every sin. Take every burden.